Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Jamie Schreiner of her one-woman show, Wife Material. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. We had like a scary moment for like five minutes there. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, that's fair. No, I mean, <laughs> we just, our like existence is just a series of scary moments. <laughs> Like, is, is the equipment going to work? Who knows? <laughs> Guess we're going to find Tune out. Tune in to find out. I mean, it, always, it honestly, it always ends up working out, but, like, you know. But but will it? I mean, I have to, like, turn on and off the, the mixer four times and then st- restart the computer. And then throw sand over your shoulder. Yeah, right. Into a volcano. Right. It's a whole thing. <laughs> Oscar jumps up on me while I'm doing stuff, and we... Just figured out how to open up a window that we never knew how to open, and now Oscar's really into this windowsill. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> how was your day, Jamie? My day was pretty great. Um, what did I get into today? I am a teaching artist at mm-hmm. Ravenswood Elementary School. Oh, cool! And I teach tap class. So awesome! That was a lot of fun. And um, my co-teacher today was Mr. Time Bricky, who is working on 42nd Street at Drury Lane right now. And so... Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really great to get in there and work with them. And then, yeah, I just had a nice little dinner with my friend Dana and had her give me a little bit of feedbacking on um, these final script rewrites of my show because, um, as I'm sure we're going to get into in a minute, I wrote the show and it's largely about me and my mm-hmm. life. Um, so, yeah, I was just talking to her lady to lady a yeah. bit about... That's real. The, the context and everything and then i just walked on over here because as we we're talking about i live in ravenswood area so it was really nice easy peasy walk over yeah yeah no yeah um i was gonna i was gonna jump on something in there and i've forgotten my my brain is a little melty oh, my no. my instincts my interview instincts aren't at aren't as sharpened mm. I'll get into it. I'll get better. Get I just gotta warm up a little well, bit. Well, how about just you know what? Tell us about <laughs> Wife Material. So it's at Prop Theater, right? Yes, Wife Material is at Prop Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two weekends of December. So we have two Saturday performances. I believe it's the second and the ninth mm-hmm. at eight p.m. And then the Sunday performances are going to be the third and the tenth at three p.m. And Wife Material is a one act like under an hour long piece of mine um that's kind of been a pipe dream of mine since january of this year um my husband and i tom he's english we decided to elope um upon the results of the election because Mm -hmm. we are very concerned about um you know, we'd been engaged since February of 2016, and we had this wedding planned for May 2018, which we're, we still have planned. We're planning to do, like, the ceremony reception thing. Um, but we were kind of told by a lawyer that there was a possibility that if we didn't kind of, like, get on it, he might not be here for this day that we'd already paid for and planned. For sure. and so we were like, well, we know, we're, we, know we want to be married. <laughs> we, you know, we yeah. have plans to get married. Let's just do it. Um but then, you know, the repercussions of that is that he's not allowed to re-enter America until he has his green card. Mm-hmm. So we're doing, like, incredibly extreme long distance, especially given the fact that, you know, I'm an actress artist. I'm, I make decent money. I pay my rent. But I don't really have, like, $1,000 to just, like, pull out of my butt and to go like, to England all yeah, the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're... Um, 
also faced with the fact that like because my work is so sporadic and like if I book a job I want to do that um when do I go and like how do I go over and visit him and like while we've managed to see each other three times this past year you know it's not the most conventional first year marriage marriage, to see each other three times for like four to seven days at a time in your first year married yeah do you know the logic behind the re-entering the country thing it's because a lot of um cases and they say a lot but who actually knows if this is true for sure quote unquote a lot of cases of um marriages between internationals in America is people getting married just so they can come into the country and there's not a real relationship there. So their concern is that like, oh, well, if, if you come into this country before we've reviewed the case, you could come, you could go off of our radar and we can't um, remove you from the country oh. um, if we find that this is illegitimate. But it's just very frustrating when you are in a legitimate relationship and you're like, you have found the person that you love and you want to be with for the rest of your life and you cannot live in the same place together yeah and so yeah i have this sort of like contradictory status of like i'm married but i'm not you know in the marriage that is so often spoon-fed to us by society like mm-hmm. it's, it's not what i thought it would be yeah um right away and like i know it will be once it gets here but you know, deal, you know, dealing with that, I'm, I'm like... You're sure it'll be perfect once he gets here. Yeah, right? I say, yeah. like, perfect. But it'll be, like, it'll be normal, I guess. Yeah, it'll yeah, be yeah. more normal. It'll be closer to normal when he gets here. But it's also, like, you know, like, I grew up in Indiana, so I have, like, family and friends from back there who, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not allowed to be going through a hard time and be upset about being apart from my husband because it's like, well, you're married. Yeah. Like, you're, you're married. You've achieved this quintessential female goal (laughs) you know like and i'm saying this all tongue-in-cheek sarcastically you guys can't see my face right now but uh there's a lot on my face that is giving away the fact that i am joking speaks volumes yeah (laughs) well um a lot of the we've done a bit of research about the show a little bit and a lot of the kind of press and the copy that you've written about uh um, what folks can expect seems to be uh, very gender politics aware. Um, so I'm curious, especially as you mentioned, uh, you know, here comes Oscar. Oh boy, buddy, this is not a uh, not a move that we need to be doing when we are recording. Um, just because that was he jumped right in the spot that yeah. would have, like no, I know that's again. that's yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm interested in kind of that balancing that uh, you know. Indiana, yeah, yeah, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like, anybody who listens to this and knows me personally is going to be like, ha ha ha. But um, I am not the stereotypical conventional image that embodies like when you talk about the idea of wife material. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty much abroad, um, <laughs> for like all <laughs> intents and purposes. I am abroad. I'm very much a tomboy. I'm very much, like, one of the guys. Um, I've been described as that. I always think it's hilarious. But, um, yeah, I kind of felt growing up and, like, growing into my sexuality, especially, like, coming from Indiana, that, like, the moment a teenage girl would lose her virginity or like rumor got out word got out that she had lost her virginity she was just kind of like branded with like a red a 
circa yeah. the scarlet letter and like it was this like big bad thing to all the other girls in the school but then amongst all of the teenage boys it's like suddenly like this like fresh meat kind of mentality um and like to be somebody who is like how i am like very much tomboy very much abroad and to be sexualized in that way just over like having sex with like my first boyfriend or like Mm -hmm. you know something that's like being removed from it all now being in chicago is like very normal like very Mm -hmm. vanilla even yeah um seen as such a big deal and something that's like so bad and naughty um is something i wanted to talk about because when people first meet me now and i'm like married at my age they don't get that whole like sort of backstory of who i you know actually am and how i operate right um and i think like with the gender politics i think in this statement that we put out one of the big themes of the show is is that you know this is a society where we wag the finger at the bad teenage girls who like sex but then like once a woman's married she's supposed to be completely satiated and her sex like life is perfect and everything's perfect like similar Mm -hmm. to what we said earlier and so it's kind of like looking at that uh through a very honest magnifying glass there's nothing sugar-coated or rose-tinted about it um that is frustrating that dichotomy of like you're a virgin until your wedding night for sure and then like you're just supposed to have it all figured out on day one of your marriage yeah and i i joke with my best friend from like my best friend since i was 14 who is also from indiana and we share this this same friend group from indiana we joke about how a lot of our male friends who grew up in indiana still have this mindset where they are like waiting to meet this woman who is a virgin or has minimal sexual partners from her past but also fucks like a porn star and it's just like no one's instincts mm. are like, that good like, yeah. how, like how <laughs> how are you supposed to know like how are you supposed to know what you're doing without like having open communication with your partner a of all and b of all like trying some shit you know like um and i think that also like on the other side of things there are a lot of men and i might be generalizing a bit right now i apologize if i'm generalizing gentlemen but i feel like there are a lot of men who their entire knowledge and understanding of sex and how sex works is based upon pornography for sure and so they get in there and they're like i'm just gonna like do this thing that i saw in the porn and she's gonna love it and it's just like no that's like not actually how a vagina works that doesn't Mm -hmm. actually feel good for anyone it's all a lie and so it's like how do we start becoming a society i'm like a a, a, a society but how do we start becoming a society where we're comfortable talking about these things with the people who are dearest to us to an extent where we can actually like start having enjoyable sex instead Mm -hmm. of just like acting like it's this hush hush bad thing because it's like i mean what about sex is bad like it continues the human race to have sex yeah um we need to you know like if if we want to continue living and i know like for me i'm not trying to have babies and that's another joke that i make in my show but um it feels good and it's like you know releases endorphins like exercise does it's good for our mental health to be having sex or like masturbating and so the sooner we can stop looking at it as this bad negative thing and, and acknowledging that it's something we all do 
a lot of us have been like kind of turned tuned into it and interested in it since we like hit puberty really and started right. being like what's going on with my body like mm-hmm. what is this feeling i have in my underpants you know like that is um gonna be all the better the sooner that we're more comfortable talking about it and that's kind of why i you know at the at the heart of it why i wanted to write this show because yeah i was feeling really frustrated that i was having these feelings and having these things i wanted to discuss and like I could talk about it with my husband and my closest friends, but like, I felt like anyone else that wasn't within that immediate circle that I would meet would just be like, oh, well, everything should be perfect for you because you're married and that's just not no. how it works. Well, to your point about pornography and like setting up weird expectations for sex, it's like, I feel like a lot of guys go into that scenario and are met with the situation of, oh, this this idea, this, like, one thing that always gets me off when I watch porn is actually not a thing that women can do or I can do. And, and I think that it's a... I, I think that they look at that as, like, womankind not living up to the expectations when really it's pornography... And the sensationalization of what, you know, the female body, how far it can bend to, to like, please male gaze. Well, and it's not even a thing of, uh, like, even if you look at things that are, like, physically possible, there are just some things that, like, aren't pleasurable to a woman. Yeah. Like, when, like, <laughs> like, like, boob stuff, when guys are, like... Like, grab it on boobs. Well, I mean, I think some people get things out of boob stuff. But I mean, specifically, yeah. like, like having, like, fucking boobs. You know, that's, like, a very thing. That's, like, a thing that happens in a lot of porn. And it's, like, that's not a thing. Like, there isn't a, like... Yeah. And then the women in porn are, like, oh, I love it when you do that. And it's, like, what? how? What? What's in, in you, between your boobs that is... Like, creating, like, pleasure. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's that, that, like, one of many things for sure. in pornography that it's, like, you know, we're not taking a hard stance against boob fucking here at Scoppy Radio. No, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. fuck all the boobs you want. Yeah. That's what you're into. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I just, like, I, I feel so bad for women who are, like, being jackhammered for 20 minutes and don't feel like they can tell their partner hey um could you maybe try something else yeah yeah like i you know i think that we as the women kind that was like not the best english i could have used but (laughs) moving on from that i feel like we are expected that like our bodies are something to be like protected against intruders, but we're not taught to celebrate them or want them to feel good. Like they're kind of a vessel and a vehicle for the male gaze and for pleasuring men until we decide to take ownership of our bodies and Mm -hmm. ask for them to be pleasured as well. For sure. One of my favorite analogies of like stress and then release is like if you ball your you know hand up into a fist and hold it really really tightly and like hold it like that for like 10 minutes and then let it go it's not gonna like spring back into perfect functional hand it's gonna creak it's not gonna it's not gonna you know 
be functional for a little bit. And I, you know, we, I, I think of that a lot when, when you're trying to release tension when you're singing, because Daniel and I are both singers. Mm-hmm. But um, that, like, if you have a lot of tension and then you start to let it go, like, it's not going to sound right for a little bit because you're, like, kind of stretching your, you know, you're getting back your full faculties. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to a woman's mindset about sex is that if you if you imagine your sexuality as a balled up fist and then when you're finally quote allowed to experiment with it it's going to take some time it's going to take a second to unball that fist and mm-hmm. to and to flex your fingers and and you know figure out you know, both literally and figuratively to <laughs> figure out like what you want what you're capable of and to have like your first encounter be met with scrutiny after being told that you need to you need to hold everything in you need to protect it it's like mm-hmm. well, it's, it's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. and it sounds like that's like a very common rural female experience mm-hmm. um and to uh, a point that you made earlier like taking that and um balancing it with some what it how how commonplace it is in an urban environment it's it's a it's almost like a tightrope act in a weird way yeah when i feel like to a certain degree um the reason why in rural communities women like and i'm i'm going to leave religion out of this cuz i think that like yes that that is something that plays into it mm-hmm. but i also think beyond that there's such a fear of if there is a strong powerful woman who is in tune with her sexuality and likes sex Mm -hmm. a lot of men from that type of a upbringing and region and background take that as an open invitation Mm. when it may not necessarily be like the whole thing about being in charge of your sexuality is that like you like sex you want to have sex but you get to decide who you're having sex with for sure exactly and i think that like there is such a fear especially like where i'm from that if you raise your daughter and she likes sex and she, you know, dresses a certain way or acts a certain way, she's going to be assaulted. Mm-hmm. And so it's like... It's that act asking for it type thing. of mentality. Yeah. And the thing is, and I know it goes back to the, you know, the, the same talking point of like, oh, well, we need to teach our boys to be better. And like, that's true. But I think even before that, um, we can't continue to use oh, we're not there yet in teaching our boys to be better as an excuse for shaming women for their bodies. For sure. Yeah. Well, and creating a weird power dynamic of like, Mm because ultimately a woman who, a woman who is in charge of her own sexuality and like knows what she wants and all of that, that puts her in a position of power over someone who over perhaps a woman who is not as sure and who is more maybe pliable by a man who encounters her in her in an intimate setting and so it's a matter of not only do we need to teach our boys not to assault pe- people which like yeah that's step one but we need to teach our boys that it's okay for women to be powerful and it's in fact good for women to be powerful. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, we have to teach girls that it's good to be powerful. 
Well, yeah, and I mean, when, like, even thinking about, like, where does consent play in all of that, you know? Like, the idea of consent, like, does that culture rob entirely women of the ability to, like, express their agency and consent, do you think? That, like, rural, like, uh... Possibly? Yeah, I would say the same, possibly, um... I don't know. Yeah, it's. I think it's. Yeah, I don't. I I would like to think on it a bit more and then maybe come back to it because I think it's a definite possibility. Because I think that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, what is, like, what are women's option? You know, like what's a, like if, if uh, in a rural environment, if a woman wanted to date a man. Even just that, even don't even like take take the further levels of, of sex and consent out of it. Just like going on a date with a man, like how frowned upon is that? I think it really is dependent on like her. It's like an it's an interesting convoluted thing because it's like I think a date is one thing. Like it's because like if sure. you. It's this weird thing of, like, you want... I think in a rural community, like, it's cool and it's, like, positive and, like, a good thing to be wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that in my experience growing up in Indiana and going to high school in Indiana, it was super cool and, like, admirable if guys liked you, but you didn't want to be the one who was giving it up. For sure. Um. So, yeah, I think it's, like... And I also think the thing is, like, if you were to be somebody who had given it up, even just one time, and you find yourself in a situation where something has been done to you that was non-consensual, it is almost as if your vote no longer counts. Because it's like, oh, well, she had sex that one time, mm-hmm. so she's probably lying. It's, it's, that's <laughs> the thing. It's you're either the virgin or the whore. Yeah, it's it's... There's no, there's no in between. And I think it's just like, I find it super frustrating because I, I still come into contact with like, if I'm at home for the holidays, like, and, and go to one of these local bars, these guys who like, don't see the hypocrisy in like, like, I, I think I posted on Facebook the other day, like something of like, a woman makes a joke that's generalizing men. And one of these guys would be like, well, hold their horses there. And they're like, this is why that's wrong. But then it's mm-hmm. like, if a man makes a joke generalizing women, they're like, now don't you say he was wrong because women really are like this and da 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 And it's just the polarization of the sexes. Um, and I, like, I don't even think I could begin to get into, like, non-binary trans issues in a town as small-minded and, for lack of better words, fucked up as the one I grew up in. Um, what part of Indiana? I want to ask you the town, but what part of Indiana are you from? Northwest, which is funny because it's like 50% of the people from where I grew up claim Chicago is like, oh, I'm so liberal. Like, da, da, da. I'm from like, like I'm from Northwest Indiana, so I'm only an hour from Chicago. And then the other 50% of the people from where I grew up may as well be from like back roads, Kentucky. Not sorry, Kentucky, but like. <laughs> But, you know, but clean, clean up, clean house, yeah, Kentucky. Clean, yeah, clean. You know, <laughs> like I don't see the problem with AR-15s. 
I guess that she's cute. It doesn't matter if she's my cousin. Like, I'm sorry. I'm being really offensive now. But, like, yeah, just, like, bad. Like, really kind of backwards, terrible ways of thinking. And I, of course, I'm always somebody that, like, I want to be open to discourse and seeing the other side. But, like, it's it's hard when I just think it's so past the point of no return. And I also am a liberal sex positive person who lives in Chicago now and I feel very far removed from that way of thinking um yeah I can I can identify with that on a micro scale because I'm I'm from Wisconsin but I'm from a I'm from a the first suburb west of downtown Milwaukee Mm -hmm. um where like Milwaukee is a pretty liberal city it's like you know, the the congresswoman, like, the U.S. representative is, like, this really super liberal black woman. But then the part that I'm from, our U.S. representative is this fucking asshole named Jim Sensenbrenner, who was one of the authors of the Patriot Act. So, like, mm-hmm. I, it's this weird dichotomy of, like, you go one block and you are in this, like, cool, like, liberal hub and then, like, two blocks from my mom's house is where Scott Walker's kids raised his kids. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's this weird dynamic of like, like, I know you, you're my neighbor. Like we, we live in the same, we see the same people every day. We, we went to the same school. We saw the same, we experienced the same home base and how can we view things so differently? Yeah. So uh, I think that this might be a good time to start. I want to ask you about the music specifically. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because that's something you were mentioning before we started recording is that you wrote the music. Yes. Um, that is true. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad because I I'm glad as we get into this that I'm that we talked as much as we did about uh, about kind of like the influences and the inspirations that's going on kind of emotionally and kind of like contextually, mm-hmm. um, but you know for you what was the uh, the music writing process like? So when I originally went to Stefan Brun of Prop Theater with the idea for Wife Material. Um, it was going to be a cabaret because that's a form I'm very familiar with. Um, I very recently did. Little Miss, which is a cabaret that I had a very successful run of in Glasgow. Oh, no problem. Um, And so, yeah, it was going to be like my, you know, it was going to be like a sister cabaret to Little Miss, which is a cabaret that's about like body positivity and loving food because like I love food. Um, But that's another story for another day. So I went to him and I was like, this is, you know, this is my idea. This is the cabaret. And we were like meeting every week. Um, once a week to like kind of really get the draft somewhere that we felt like it was strong storytelling and good structure and I had been planning to use found music when one day Stefan was just like you know you you want this to be something that is yours entirely and that like if you do want to produce it at a higher level you're able to do that why don't you write the songs and I was just like (laughs) like you're funny like no I'm not I'm not gonna be able to do that and he's like, you know, you you studied musical theater, you're a singer, performer, you wrote all this stuff, like, just try to write a song that will better serve what you're trying to say in these moments than the song that you have here. Like, think of what vibe you're going for um, in each moment to moment. 
and write a song. And so then I went away and, you know, my opening number was going to be a song about like being married. And I think I had just a housewife from working was what was originally in that slot. It's a good song. Which is a banging song. Yeah. But then I went home and I was like, okay, I want, like, I want to write a song that's about, you know, conveying like these ideals and images around like married life being perfect Mm -hmm. contrasted to like what I'm actually feeling and experiencing right now. And I wrote a song called Mrs. Biddle (laughs) because that's, you know, that is my last name now. Um, I still go by Jamie Shriner for like performing and everything, but Mrs. Biddle is legally my last name. And so I wrote that song and then it was like, as soon as I got one out, I did the next one and the next one and the next one. And then what it just came down to is like, I have these songs, I have the chords that are like the accompaniment, but I kind of just play like basic piano and I had visions in my mind of wanting like a bit more of like poppy sound for certain things or more of like a reggae sound for like the song Let's Screw has like this really like funky kind of like sexy sound to it and my friend Shelby Albert who is um the lead singer of the Nashville pop band Pet Envy also went to high school with me in Indiana um I reached out to her and I said hey you know can we do a postal service type of thing uh to get this music arranged like you know I'm just gonna send you some samples of what I've come up with and her co-collaborator and pet MV Jake Diggity was also immediately on board and yeah so they both arranged my music for me um and that's sort of how it all came to happen um that's really cool yeah and I I'm really excited to share the songs with everybody because I think that there are a lot of different styles across the board um for the most part it's very pop i will say but like one song is like in the style of cabaret the musical which i think is fun (laughs) and um you definitely can hear my musical influences in it because like for me i very much love like bluegrass alternative music pop music r&b soul um and so there's like a lot of different colors to the music. Um, cool. Had you had you written music before? Or was this your first time doing it? This was my first time doing it like on this large of a scale. Mm-hmm. I've written like little jingles and like silly things because I did a lot of um, sketches and moments for I was in a neo futurist group in college. So cool. I, I did some music writing for that, um, and then I've done a lot of lyric rewrites because I do a lot of parody of mm-hmm. songs that already mm-hmm. exist like the song like Selena Gomez's I just want to look good for you I changed the lyrics to I don't want to look good for you and it was a song about street harassment um so I've done a lot of stuff like that but like having it be you know sort of two minute to three minute long full length songs everything's my own and there's ten of them throughout the show like there's that was ten of there's them ten songs in the show yes and each song is anywhere from, like, two minutes to four minutes long. Um, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, like, I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited because I think um, they all serve their, like, they all serve their purposes in the story. But then some of them, like, are just really good standalone, like, pop songs, um, which is fun and exciting because it's something that, as I said initially, I said, no, I can't do that. So 
I guess that my best piece of advice to anybody listening would be that thing that you don't think you can do that you probably do have the background to be doing. Just try it because you, yeah. you will not know until you try. Like I, with, you know, like with this whole project, I didn't know either way until I tried it. And like, I still don't know. Like people could come see this and be like, this was garbage. But I really mm-hmm. don't think that's what's going to happen. Because, um, you know, it's very much my story and about me and I think that because I am a funny and likable person it will be a funny and likable show mm-hmm. unless you're not a liberal then you might like I think I say in the description this millennial expose may leave your grandparents deeply offended and like mm-hmm. that's not a joke like my if my grandfather came to see this he would disown me but I'm pretty sure I'm already kind of disowned so it's like you know <laughs> so like you're fine it's, it's just making it, like, in writing. It's, yeah. going, it's going from, like, the unspoken, I don't really love you, to the, nah, like, we're not cool. Um, I'm sorry. And everyone can't see my face right now, but this is more sarcastic jokes. No, no, yeah. Um, <laughs> just just got to clarify for the for listeners. Sure. Yeah. Uh, have you enjoyed working at the prop? I have very much enjoyed working at the prop. Um, I first worked there in February um, Mark Chrysler wrote a play called On Loss and I think it was like the second time that it has been reworked for Rhino Fest and I got to act in it um, with a really good friend Nick Leninger on a little vignette at the end and Stefan directed it which mm-hmm. was how I got to meet him and kind of pitch my whole idea to him but yeah I think it's when they say it's sort of like a DIY incubator for new work I think that's exactly what it is and I think it's sort of this hidden underrated gem in the city because mm. like so many so many great new works and new projects have gotten their start there. Yeah. And like they've gone on to have a longer run at like a different venue. Mm-hmm. And so that venue gets like a lot of credit, but they were the people that gave that work a chance. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of really cool stuff at the prop. Um couple years ago the first time i ever saw something at the prop theater was um Sumeda, uh, Sumeda th- song with third, third eye theater third eye theater ensemble does a lot of work there um it's this like women run um theater ensemble yeah, yeah, yeah. um so i saw Sumeda's song um our friend olivia lily produces a lot of work there yeah yeah which say- i really want to catch last days of the commune and in sarah's shadow yeah which is what's say- running those Sorry. are both going on right now. I was going to say, yeah, I know. Um, Last Days of the Commune, I actually am in that as well. Right really? Now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in that. Uh, that is Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. and then Sundays at 3 p.m. And then In Sarah's Shadow is um, Fridays and Saturdays at 10.30. So it's like a double feature. Yeah. And, you know, Last Days of the Commune is like a really cool reimagining of a wrecked play. And then In Sarah's Shadow is just like... Is a devised work... I am just such a fangirl for Instagram Shadow. Like, I, I love Leslie's The Coming that I'm working on. I'm having a great time. I think it's um, a really cool multimedia reimagining. But Instagram Shadow, I have to say, just blew me away. Because, like, I don't know if you, y'all two have seen it yet. We haven't seen it. So what we're planning on is mm-hmm. grabbing that double bill night. Yeah. So we want to see both. Yeah. It's a good deal. It's a steal. I think it's $25. You get both shows and you get a drink in between the shows. So y'all should go check that out for sure. But Insta Shadow, like, 
I posted something about it on Facebook or like saying what I felt about it, but it's just, it's a whole different way of telling a story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say it's like a dance musical because rather than breaking into, into singing when the text is no longer enough, they break into dance. Um, but it's really just visually stunning because they use multimedia, the lighting, the costuming, and just like the four performers who are in it have just so committed to like each role they play. And then, um, a young woman, Dylan, who plays Eleanor Deuce is a lead. Um, she is just fantastic. Like I feel like if you miss her performance in this show, you are just wrong. Like you're just mm-hmm. missing out because she is just <laughs> in it from the moment she comes on stage. Like you cannot take your eyes off of her. Um, well, and it's the thing that's amazing to me about that too is it's what those kind of productions when they do them like when you look at it administratively and organizationally, they're like doing everything right. You know, mm-hmm. like they're it's a long run. It's so hard to miss. Uh, Olivia Lilly, we've talked to a lot about this whole idea of that she's trying to take this like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock hour by storm, yeah. which I think is like interesting and different and important. Yeah. Well, because a lot of people, their excuse for missing something is, "Oh, I work weekend nights." It's like. Do you work until ten? Yeah. Well, and I think that I think that so many people um, have been avoiding the late night slot to be like considered by reviewers and considered for certain awards. And I think it's like Olivia Lilly in taking this late night slot by storm. She's saying like the work stands on its own. Like I don't need the approval of this. I don't need the approval of that. For sure. Um, the people who want to be here are going to be here, and yeah. I think that that's amazing because I think yeah, the, like if you are free. At 10.30 on Friday or Saturday through December, you should go. And mm-hmm. don't put it off because I think that I think a lot of people are being like, oh, I'll catch it in December. And then they're they're not going to catch it because it's, it's a be very small space. It's yeah. a very small space. So yeah. catch it while you can because it's just great. And, like, if you want to come see Last Days of the Commune too, my show that I'm in, I feel bad that I didn't talk about it more because Stefan's going to be like, you should have plugged your show a bit more. But it's like, you know, I'm in it. And so, like. All the little cool details that you can see from the outside looking in, I don't see as well. But I know, um, last days of the commune, the one thing I will say is Kylan Greer, who is an amazing composer, wrote four entirely new songs for it that are super fun to perform and I think also incredibly exciting to listen to um, because they're going all over the board. You know, you have this sort of like rousing group number and then there's like a pop rock song there's something that's very in my opinion reminiscent of like Sarah Bareilles Ingrid Michaelson that mm. um Zoe Pike sings and then there's also a very like vaudevillian number and a nice ballad to close the songs out so that might actually be five instead of four I might have lied but that to me I think that is the most exciting thing about Last Days of the Commune is the new music. And I think that I'm a bit biased because I love music. And yeah. mm-hmm. like as somebody who has just had to write songs for a show, you I'm like... You have a deeper appreciation. Yeah. I'm like, for sure. wow. Like you, you did that. And like you didn't even have to arrange it. Like you just knew how to arrange it as well. Which for me is like, I wrote the vocal lines and did some chords and then I was like, okay, I don't know how... You know, I, I need <laughs> outside help now. Whereas... Kylan just did it all. Um, mm-hmm. Different vocal parts. There's different instruments involved. It's just yeah. That always amazes me. Is is someone 
writing music for multiple, you know, for not just an instrument that that person is good at. For sure. Knowing the nuances of, um, like, what certain instruments are capable of and, um, yeah. Well, yeah, so I want to bring it back to wife material. So I have a, my curiosity for you um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, I think the, like, uh, one man one woman one performer show can have a bad rap yes um but i, I think that uh the, you know there's there is this, a time and a space for it working and so what i'm curious for you uh is what drew you to that format and kind of how do you uh find yourself thinking about it yeah so with the one woman show the thing that i think i must mention that is very important to this is that um, when I did first go to pitch my idea to Stefan, and I hate to say like pitch because he's like my friend, and I feel like it's more like a conversation than a pitch. But um, when I went to tell him that I had this idea and that I wanted to do this, the first thing he said is he's like, oh, I really, I don't love one person shows. I think that you lose that collaboration. And like, I don't, I don't really know how I feel about that, but like, you know, tell me more, tell me why you want to do it. And I, originally was very passionate about having a live band and having backing vocalists and having voiceovers. And I was like, no, yeah, like it's, it's me telling my stories. So like, yes, it's going to be me, but I'm going to have these other people involved. But then upon workshopping it more, the reason why we decided to go in the direction that we did where it's like pre-recorded backing tracks and just kind of me alone on the stage is because one of the overlying themes in this is the fact that like, even though I'm married, even though I live close to my family, um, I'm very much going through a lot of the emotional baggage and turmoil of this new marriage and these new difficulties of trying to, you know, get my husband immigrated into the country alone. Um, and I very much was going through finding my own sexuality and expressing my own sexuality alone. I Because it was such a, you know, shunned taboo thing... Um, I didn't feel like I could talk about it. And so I think it's like I'm alone on stage kind of in this vulnerable place talking about these things so that the audience can leave this space and be able to talk about these things openly and not feel like they are completely alone with these things as I did when I was like, I should write about this because I can't be the only person who feels like I have nobody to talk to about this. Um, And I know that like, Stefan, after we'd been working on this for like six months, joked about how there's the rule and the exception. And so he came to me when I first presented this idea with the rule, which is one person shows like they don't generally work and then came to find upon working with me on this project. And like once the songs were written, once the bulk of the script is written, that in his opinion, and in my opinion as well, wife material really is the exception to this rule because we're talking about these topics that are very relatable, especially to women, I find, um, but that most people don't feel like they can talk about. And so it's sort of this, um, using this forbidden medium to talk about these forbidden things. And I think that that is how it's able to work. And there's fun musical numbers. Like, you can't go wrong with... I think it would be a lot different if the music wasn't there. I think if it was just me on stage talking, it might become a bit like that episode of Friends where Joey's doing a one-man show. (laughs) 
um i think the music is what lightens it up and and makes it i think i would compare it to like sort of what bo burnham does in his act because you have these musical moments that break apart um the talking yeah and they're almost like yeah, there are actually, there are quite a few moments where I am playing someone that isn't me. Cool. Um, and that's why, like, when I mentioned originally, when I conceived the idea, I thought about, like, using other people's voices for voiceovers and da 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 But we ended up finding out that there's something really funny about me, like, putting on the body of a man and, like, doing the male gaze. Looking at, you know, quote-unquote me, the way these individuals looked at me with that kind of like lusty look i think um women pretending to be men is a lot funnier than it gets credit for because you know for many many years i think it was such a trope and such a funny thing of like oh put a guy in a wig and a dress like huh so funny but it's like women like really fully honestly like putting on the body of a man and like pretending like i'm not saying like when i say putting on the body of a man what i mean is like adopting the physicality of a man and like saying in that same tone of voice what they'd say i think that there's something really funny about that and underrated well i think that uh, what i what i think is the difference between like a man dressing as a woman versus a woman dressing as a man in terms of like it's honesty or not it's honesty but like but how like genuinely how genuine the satire can be mm-hmm. is that there's this trope within and uh, there's this there's a tr- this trope among men that men don't understand women mm-hmm. whereas like i feel like women have really got men's number <laughs> like we get we got it but i think also like it's a power thing like a lot of times in these situations where like you know, like, if a woman is being, like, verbally harassed by a man, like, she is not in the position of power. And so there's something funny about a woman, like, after the fact, imitating that moment. Because it's, like, they are taking on that power and almost kind of, like, smushing that man's power by being, like, no, you don't get to say that to me. You don't get to speak to me that way and behave that way. Um, yes, I think that both of those things i think that when guys put on a woman's physicality and pretend to be a woman it lacks honesty because like look at all of the writing that exists for women by men it puts them in maybe five categories instead of two but it's like it's very based upon stereotypes rather than truth for sure for sure so i'm wondering what kind what's up no. Uh, um, I'm wondering, um, like, other than, like, the struggle that you're currently experiencing of, like, an extreme long-distance relationship with your new husband um, and, like, the, you know, the struggles therein, like, what, like, w- broadly, like, what topics are you going to be exploring? So I'd say the show um, can, it kind of is broken into... I want to say it's like four mini like acts or like topics that I touch upon. So it's like, well, I guess five if you count the opener. The opener is like I said, it's Mrs. Biddle. It's establishing 
I'm married to an English man. He's not here. And then like section two is sex and sexuality. Um, and it's very much where I kind of talk about like growing up in Indiana, being branded as, you know, a whore because of losing my virginity. And then from there, it gets more into relationships and dating and sort of, I think that in that section, a major theme is sort of one night stands as a replacement for real lasting relationships, which is, of course, you know, now I'm married. That's no longer where I'm at in my life. But before being married, that was very much something I struggled with. And I think a lot of us struggle with that in the, you know, the culture of the dating culture, sorry, of what's easiest, you know, like we have all these apps like Tinder and Bumble and, you know, whatever new other thing exists, I don't know anymore, uh, that make it very easy to find somebody to fulfill that sexual need. But there's this repercussion of we are not not as comfortable being open and honest and, and acting like we care. I think that there's a culture of, you know, let's see who cares the least. Um, you know, um, it's cool to not care when it comes to dating and relationships. And that's sort of what I talk about within that topic. I talked about that for a while, but I think it's important to establish what I mean by that. Cause dating and relationships is very broad. And then from there, I kind of go into, um, talking about within a loving lasting relationship, the temptation to cheat or being pursued by somebody whilst in a loving relationship as well as consent um, and sexual assault then comes up within that same sort of subcategory. And then I end the show talking about true love as well as self-love. And within self-love, um, we talk a bit about masturbation because, you know, the initial problem that we present is how am I dealing without not having sex? Um, sorry, that was not a proper rewind how am I dealing with not having sex um, in this long distance relationship? And yeah, the way, you know, the answer to that, well, actually maybe edit the, I don't know if you can edit this at all, but I don't want to give away the end, but yeah, it's like, I talk about love and self love um, towards the end as a way of solving that problem. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, we actually have a few minutes left. Okay, uh, okay. So the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. So sometimes it's very obvious, like a yeah. one-woman show that's that's coming up soon. Um, we also love hearing about uh, different uh, folks that you want to shout out that are doing dope work. Um, just general self-care things, you know, uh, books, TV shows, movies, anything like that. But go ahead. Great. Okay. Um, so for my one minute plug, I will say, uh, if you want to get a live sneak peek of songs from wife material, come on out to shithole on, um, November 19th. Nice. You will have to watch on Jamie Shriner's Facebook page. If you go like that, you can see the information on that. Cause that's something where you message for details. Uh, there'll also be a little performance at Salonathon on November 20th. That's a Monday. And so you'll be able to find that on that Facebook page as well. Um, also catch, as we already said, last season of the commune and in Sarah's shadow at prop theater. 
uh, wife material, obviously, we've been talking about. I also am very partial to the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I <laughs> draw a lot of my inspiration in songwriting as well as um, storytelling from that show. Season three, I know it's kind of like you love it or you hate it. But if you've never watched the show, you should definitely check that out on Hulu. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Alice in Wonderland with Alphabet Soup Productions is a children's show I'm working on right now with Emily Cox, who is the person nice. who got me in touch with Scoppy Magazine. So if you have kiddos, uh, you could go check that out. Also, I'm trying to think of anything else that's really great going around. Oh, Hillary Duff Project this weekend. Allison Smith, who is in the uh, production of Alice in Wonderland with us. She is in that. And so you have only one more weekend to catch that. That's this weekend. So if you're free, you definitely should. And I think that might be my minute or over my minute. Yeah, no worries. Do yeah, you, we don't. This is a weird question for you. Do you know when your husband's green card is getting approved? Well, so we are on the... It's like a three-step process. We are on the second step, and we're waiting to hear back. And once we hear back, he'll be scheduled an interview um, where they ask him questions about, like, how did you meet? What is her mother's oh. middle name? Like, that kind of stuff. And if that goes well, then he gets a green card. But the second step is, like, financial paperwork. And we're waiting to hear back about that. And if we don't hear by the end of the week, I'm going to call them and bug them again. Because the reason why it's taking longer than it should have is because... My father signed the wrong section on a form, so we had to send in new forms, and it delayed the process three weeks. Mm. And it's just so petty, because it's, like, literally, like, over-signature. It's like... And they're like, oh, well, it's going to take us three more weeks. I'm like, to make sure you signed in the right... Like, what? Why? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I get it, but I also don't get it, but... Yeah. <sighs> that old chestnut. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there, as well as our most recent episode of the podcast up on the uh, homepage. Um, yeah, do check that out. Uh, we are working on developing our, we have been and are continuing to develop our Scopy affiliates. Uh, so check that out too. That's kind of our advertising wing. That I'll um, go more into. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, you can keep up with us on social media. I haven't done this in a while, so mm-hmm. I forgot how we close out the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, uh, we are under Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, Radio Public, and iTunes Podcasts, we are under Scopy Mag. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com. Go to our About section. There are a couple ways that you can give. You can give on a, mo- on a one-time basis. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, some cool things will happen. First of all, our next two donors at any level will receive a free bag of half-wit coffee. At $10 a month, you'll receive one free session per month of studio photography with Daniel in our space. And at $25 a month or above, you'll be a part of our affiliate program. We are grateful to our donors at every level, but our affiliates are individuals, businesses, and organizations who support our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media at a higher level. We believe that such generosity should be 
Oh, that we believe that such a generosity during this time deserves recognition. So our affiliates will be featured on our website with a link to their website or social media as a means of advertisement, and will receive a Scopy affiliate window sticker. So, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>